Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So we're getting a little bit of a later start tonight than usual. And if you didn't know, Kellen and I record these episodes at night because we are slaves to the system and work full-time jobs and have families to take care of. And we actually usually record the bonus episodes first. So the ones that we do every week kind of just talk about current events or articles. And then we have to like shift our thoughts to these more like polished episodes. And that's always really hard to do. But tonight especially given that it's 11 o'clock p.m. Yeah, it can be difficult sometimes to shift topics, but I think what's even more difficult is that in those bonus episodes, we're a little bit more casual, I guess you could say. I think we let our personalities come out just a little bit more. We talk about articles that have come out just this week or certain current events that we're seeing right now and our thoughts around it. So then to go into more of like presentation mode, where these episodes, we're trying to just present a bunch of research that we've come across, piece it all together in a way that's easy to understand. And yet I find myself still wanting to like keep talking casually and making jokes. Which if you were funny, I'm sure like people wouldn't mind if you <laughs> tried that. Yeah, you know, those bonus episodes, you listen to them if you pay a few bucks a month. I'm sure most people out there would gladly pay a few bucks a month to not have to hear me try to make jokes. <laughs> we should set up a Patreon where we post these episodes, the normal episodes, but we cut out any attempt at you or I trying to be funny and just leave the normal stuff. We make it sound like people are being forced to listen to this. Anyways, as we talk about, you know, things that are a little bit more lighthearted and 
fun. It does make me excited for this episode, what we're going to be talking about this week, because it's just a little bit different from the kind of stuff we've covered up to this point. Yeah, I guess by collapse standards, you could consider today's topic lighthearted and fun. <laughs> I don't think normal people would find this fun or funny in any way. Um, you know, I find it all so fascinating, but you know, I know I bore my wife to death talking about this type of stuff to her. And this one's unique because it's kind of a, almost like a hidden threat. It's one that most people in their everyday lives do not know that this is even a thing. I'm sure there are even a lot of collapse aware people who aren't aware of this or don't think about it very often. But it's one that if it did occur, it would have some pretty terrible consequences. And the topic is the Kessler syndrome. Which, by the way, when you told me that you thought it would be interesting for us to cover the Kessler syndrome, I hadn't ever heard of it before. I thought you were talking about some sort of medical disorder. Yeah, it's kind of got a unique name in that it's a syndrome, right? But this came from a NASA scientist named Donald Kessler, and he pointed out the theory in 1978. And basically what this is, is that, you know, over the last 60 years, the amount of stuff orbiting the Earth has accelerated exponentially. And Kessler's theory, which we'll get into here in a minute, is that it could eventually get to the point where our entire satellite infrastructure, this trillion dollar infrastructure and industry, could be completely jeopardized, which would create some pretty dramatic consequences for our very complex globalized infrastructure as, as we currently have it. So to get into, into some numbers and details here to explain what the Kessler syndrome is and why it's important, I have some numbers here I'm going to read off. And Kellen, you know me and my obsession with, <laughs> with numbers. But as it stands right now, um, what's called the LEO, low Earth orbit, has just a ton of junk flying around it, right? Something goes into orbit and it stays in orbit for a long time, depending on the altitude and some other factors will decide how long that stuff stays up there. But the amount of stuff that's currently cruising around the Earth every day is insane. So up to this point, somewhere around nine to 10,000 satellites have been put into orbit since the very first. They believe that of those, somewhere around 5,000 satellites are still in orbit. So the rest have re-entered the atmosphere, burned up upon re-entry. So you've got 5,000 satellites. Beyond satellites, you know, every time a rocket goes into space, those boosters and other pieces of rockets also get dropped off and enter orbit. So what they believe is that there's somewhere around 10,000 objects. This is what one video uh, explained it as. 10,000 objects that are bigger than a computer monitor. 20,000 objects that are as large as an apple. 500,000 objects the size of a marble. And over 128 million pieces of debris that are so small they can't be tracked. And those can be anything from like loose screws, paint chips, tiny shards of metal, anything that could come from satellites or rockets. Now, most of those you hear like, okay, they're just small, like a screw. Why do these things, Why? what's the big deal? Well, the problem is, is that most things in space are moving at an insane speed. So um, objects in orbit can cruise at speeds up to 30,000 kilometers per hour. So not everything's going necessarily that fast, but they can get up to that, which is around 19,000 miles per hour. We've kind of turned orbit into this graveyard of junk. And the issue is, is that we've got working satellites up there. Like I said, it's a trillion dollar industry. And we currently have 3,300 working satellites in orbit. And so a pea-sized piece of debris traveling at those 19,000 miles per hour would completely annihilate a satellite, which is crazy to think about because it's so small. But I mean, if you imagine a marble 
hitting you at 19,000 miles per hour, like it would clearly do some damage, right? So the theory is this, as the LEO fills with more space junk and more live satellites, the chances of having collisions grows greater and greater. Now space is huge, right? But when you're talking about hundreds of millions of pieces of debris, the chances for impact aren't zero. Yeah, and when you talk about a hundred million or hundreds of millions of pieces of debris floating around, I know that there were some predictions made um, in 2017. They were saying that the amount of space debris and space junk was expected to triple by 2032. And that's only like 10 years from now. And I know that those estimates are even low because since then there have been a lot of announcements from Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos regarding all of the satellites that they plan to put in place. Yeah, so I saw uh, probably a more recent number that did include the estimates from the satellites that Elon Musk is planning to put into space. So he is planning with Starlink to put up 42,000 satellites, which if you'll remember, I mean, I just mentioned that there's only like 5,000 satellites even in orbit. So we're talking about an eight times increase just from Starlink. And the numbers that I saw for expected growth in the 2020s is at least 10 times the amount of space junk and satellites that we currently have. The number of satellites in space has definitely grown exponentially. And, you know, if Elon Musk's attempts are successful with Starlink, surely other companies will want to follow suit, right? And put their tens of thousands of satellites up as well. So Kessler in 1978 actually predicted that within two to three decades, we would see the first satellite-to-satellite collision. And he was not far off. Um, It was 31 years later. In 2009, there was a collision of two satellites. One was U.S. and one was Russian. The collision velocity was seven miles per second, (laughs) which is just unbelievably fast. They say it was more of a splash than a crash because of how just completely annihilated both satellites were. They said it created hundreds of large fragments capable of completely destroying other satellites and tens of thousands of shards capable of damaging or decommissioning other satellites. And actually earlier than that, this wasn't between two satellites, but in 1996, there was a collision between a spent rocket and a French satellite. Since then, there have been other examples of debris having damaged satellites or even the International Space Station. You know, I mentioned earlier the idea of some of those hundred million pieces of small debris that are floating around that are so small that they they can't be tracked being paint chips. And that might sound ridiculous, like a piece of dried paint floating around. Um, In 2016, a paint chip hit the ISS and actually damaged a window. It broke a window in the ISS and they had to go up and replace it. And my understanding is that some of the space junk that's up there because of all the solar radiation that it's exposed to, tons of these paint chips are flaking off. And so even without the collisions like you talked about that create all these tiny pieces of debris, it's it's happening simply as stuff falls apart. Yeah, that's right. Debris doesn't have to come from an initial collision. It can happen just from normal wear and tear. You know, they found a, a hole in a robotic arm on the International Space Station that was caused by a small piece of debris. And they say that at least once per year, the International Space Station has to make an intentional maneuver away from an oncoming piece of debris. So they're able to track the bigger pieces of debris, see when it's coming from way far away, and be able to maneuver out of its path. 
But what the Kessler syndrome is, isn't just that we're going to put more junk up there and so there will be more collisions, but it's actually a positive feedback loop. If you can imagine two satellites smashing into each other, creating tens of thousands of pieces of debris, it creates sort of this wall of debris. And the more debris that's created, the more likely that another collision is going to happen or that more satellites are going to be destroyed. And it's a process that happens slowly. People say that we're already undergoing the Kessler syndrome, but we haven't hit the tipping point yet. And what that tipping point would be is essentially when so many satellites are getting destroyed by the space junk that is creating so much space junk that essentially all of the other satellites then get destroyed. So basically what they say is the frequency with which we'll see collisions will increase. Right now it might be once every decade, once every 15 years, but that that could rapidly accelerate if there's a chain reaction of these collisions that end up happening. You know, it's not like the movie Gravity. If you've seen, Gra have you seen Gravity, Kellen? I have, but it was a long time ago. So the whole opening scene of that movie is essentially the Kessler syndrome hap happening where the debris comes, they, you know, they run into a debris field and it hits them and then it orbits again comes back around and hits them again. Um, that's all pretty rapid and it likely wouldn't happen that fast and in that way. But it's kind of a decent demonstration of showing how terrible of a collision these can be and the types of damage that it can do to a satellite or a spacecraft. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes me think of all the models that were predicting the pandemic and how contagious it was. And this idea that somebody gets sick, they get infected, they don't even feel any symptoms. So they go to some big gathering and they infect 15 other people. Those 15 other people all go do their thing and infect 15 more people. And it's amazing how quickly that becomes exponential. So with what you're describing, there's one satellite collision creates all this debris. Maybe the next year there's five satellite collisions and the next year there's 50 and it quickly gets to a point where that level of the atmosphere is just completely full of debris and my understanding by the way you know sometimes we think of it as like almost like saturn's rings or like there's just this highway of debris but all these pieces in these satellites are traveling in different directions and so that just creates so much more chaos and so much more opportunity for collisions as like you said a hundred million pieces of debris right now are all flying at 17 or 18 thousand miles per hour and crossing each other in different directions yeah and they say that once a collision takes place and there's these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or potentially even millions of pieces of debris as a result of that, they don't all travel together in a wall. You know, they might for the first few orbits, but pretty quickly they actually sort of disseminate across the LEO, both in altitude, so up and down, they, get, they go higher and lower, but also in, in width. So they basically just end up sort of all over the place at different speeds, and it fills the LEO kind of in an even distribution of junk. And so with that being said, not all junk that's in space stays there. Depending on where the collision happens, depending on where the satellites were, where the junk was, stuff does fall out of orbit. That's called orbital decay. And there's a lot that goes into that that I don't understand with physics and things like that. But it is important to note that if the rate at which we were putting stuff into space was less than the rate at which it was leaving the atmosphere, we should be totally fine. We would likely never experience the Kessler syndrome. But already, you know, even in the past decade, we've been putting stuff into space at a much faster rate than it's falling out. You know, and then you look at like 2020 alone, in which we sent 1,283 satellites into space, right? 
and then these 42,000 that are projected from Elon Musk and Starlink, and all the thousands that are projected from other companies. Like with everything else in our current society, it is nowhere near sustainable, and the likelihood of further collisions is increasing every year. Yeah, my understanding is that we're already having three to four satellites per year decommissioned because they're getting hit by debris or space junk. And so what you're saying, you know, the fact that we plan to put so many, these tens of thousands of additional satellites and other space junk up into the atmosphere makes it feel like we're headed toward that kind of exponential increase of collisions. You know, this stuff that's flying around is traveling at multiple times the speed of a bullet. And some of the models out there warn that we could go from having 100 million of these bullets flying around to over 1 trillion. So clearly there's a major threat here. And I think it's important for us to understand what the implications of that are. So I think sometimes we don't realize how much we rely on satellites. There's a really interesting article about this, and it talks about what would happen if all of a sudden the satellite network went down. I think it's important to realize that what we're talking about with the Kessler syndrome, it wouldn't happen all at once. And I don't think there's any claims that like every single satellite would be knocked out. But initially, it might just be annoying. Like the first hour after satellites go down, you know, there'd be no satellite TV and people suddenly wouldn't be getting their updates on like international sports. But it would also pretty much halt all international communications and that would take a little bit of time but like military bunkers would lose contact with their armed drones and you'd get commanders being cut off from their soldiers and their ships and their aircrafts and maybe there'd initially be some disruption to the ability for world leaders to communicate across the globe we would lose gps which I think when you and I, Corey, think of GPS, we think of just navigation. And if we're driving somewhere and we don't know how to get there, we type that into our phone and it tells us the directions. Or maybe you've got a navigation system in your vehicle. But you think about all the delivery companies and the emergency services and across the globe, logistics and shipping and you know, everybody's ability to track their trucks and their trains and their ships. But what's interesting, and I wasn't aware of this, is that there's what's called GPST or GPS time. And it's a continuous time scale based on a set of atomic clocks and satellites. And what would happen over the course of hours is that that would start to slip. So what I mean by that is that maybe within a couple of hours, clocks in one part of the world would be off by a fraction of a second from clocks on the other side of the globe. And having those accurate timestamps is really important to the way our internet infrastructure works. So all those packets of data that are being passed between computers would get off slightly. They would get off sync. And the internet itself would start to kind of collapse, for lack of a better term. It would grind to a halt. The cloud would no longer function. And you think about what that would do, right? Like all mobile phone services and all the systems that are used to like run our water treatment facilities and our traffic lights. And, you know, beyond that, on top of that level of catastrophe, we've come to rely really heavily on the information that satellites give us regarding the weather and weather patterns. And you think about what that does to travel, especially airplanes and flight and how much we've come to rely on 
our modern systems for being able to navigate around weather patterns. You know, a former NASA administrator, his name is Michael Giffen, he talked about financial transactions. He said, when we talk about economic infrastructure, I don't think the general public realizes the extent to which the global positioning system's timing signal is critical for these ATM transactions and every other point of sale transaction conducted in the United States and throughout most of the world. So long story short, we're talking about global communications, we're talking about the economy, we're talking about security and defense and safety and emergency management. Like if all the satellites were to go down, at once, we're really talking about a complete collapse. And like you said, that's that's not how it would probably work, that everything would go down at once. But even if just a fraction of those satellites went down, and to think of the, the effects that that would have, even if it doesn't collapse the entire system, it's just another thing in catabolic collapse, right? Just making things a little bit harder, a little bit more expensive. I read that satellites are going to become much more expensive in the future if there's any acceleration in the Kessler syndrome at all because satellites are going to have to be equipped with more and more expensive technology to try and help them either be able to better withstand smaller impacts or avoid impacts altogether by having some sort of extremely advanced detection and avoidance systems. And if we're having to make all this equipment way more expensive, then those costs get passed down to the end user. And then when they are getting destroyed and the replacement cost is great, like it's just another added cost to make things really difficult. All of the things that you just mentioned are terrifying, right? That's all stuff that we heavily rely on. And you look at the problems that we're already going through with supply chains and logistics worldwide right now, and picture even just a slight complication to to supply chains in, in the way that their GPSs work and things like that. And it just really, I could see how it could have a major impact on our way of life. You know, some people might think like, oh, it's no big deal. Just grab like a map, right? Go back to the way we did it 30 years ago. You know, I remember being on road trips with my dad where, where we had the maps uh, and actually using a physical map. But it's not that simple when you consider um, the worldwide logistics, GPS tracking, and especially when you consider, like you said, that interesting GPST with the time stamps and the financial transactions, even a small glitch in the ability to track that accurately could have a knock-on effect throughout the entire global financial system. Yeah, so depending on how quickly this Kessler syndrome plays out, we could get to the point where we can't put any more satellites up into space. And maybe, like you talked about, we could get some advancements in technology that would allow satellites to dodge all the debris. But much of the small debris, we can't track. And so we would have to see some serious advancements. And along those same lines, in addition to not being able to put more satellites into space, it could create kind of this barrier of debris around the globe that would make it so that space travel isn't possible. There's all these dreams about like a moon base and traveling to Mars and that somehow that's how humanity is going to continue and advance. But we may be trapping ourselves here on the planet. So the question is, what do we do about it? Is there a solution? Can we fix this? Can we clean up all the space junk? And to summarize, I will just read you the title of an article. This is in Scientific American. It was published last year. It says, Space junk removal is not going smoothly. But that doesn't mean that they're not working on it. In fact, there's a number of well-funded organizations that are trying to solve this problem and figure out how in the world do we get all of this junk out of the atmosphere. 
there was an experiment that was done by, you know, a number of companies and researchers, the UK's Surrey Space Centre, and apparently Airbus, and Airbus-owned Surrey Satellite Technology, a group from France, they came together, and they, in 2018, were able to successfully demonstrate deploying a net to ensnare space junk. And this was just like a dummy satellite that they did this little model, this demonstration. But the idea is that they could deploy this net. It captures the debris and then, you know, boosters or a small rocket on that device pushes it closer down to the earth so it can burn up in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's an interesting thought to think of like this little space machine shooting a net to capture this junk that's flying at like 17,000 miles per hour and then you know safely pushing that back into earth's atmosphere and some of the the issues around that you know you're essentially risking creating more space junk by sending this new apparatus into into orbit but you're also risking further collisions because you're having to actually come in physical contact with that debris and any sort of mishap could basically further the issue instead of helping to fix it yeah and i know that they were able to do this in kind of just a controlled scenario right with this dummy satellite that they captured but when you talk about debris that's flying in all different directions at seventeen thousand miles per hour how do you get into the right position and go at the right speed so that you don't just shred your net there's also the issue that you can't necessarily catch really small stuff or really big stuff it has to be a certain size of debris so they've had a similar idea, but instead of a net, at least for larger debris, they could use like a harpoon. And once they've grabbed some large piece of debris, they could deploy like a large sail that creates, you know, almost like a parachute, it creates some drag and causes it to sink down and burn up in the atmosphere. Sounds like some, I don't know, like a cyberpunk remake of like Moby Dick where they're cruising around space with a harpoon and their sails. <laughs> like in reality, I'm sure the science is sound, but it still just sounds so sci-fi. Honestly, it is. And they're trying to test it, but you think about how expensive that is, right? To send a machine into space so that it can grab one piece of debris and together they can sink down and burn up in the atmosphere. Another idea is to put these giant electromagnets up there that would push on the magnetic components of satellites. And, you know, that's certainly an interesting idea. The benefit there is that it doesn't have to make contact with any of that debris. There's talk about putting satellites up in space with lasers that could vaporize all those tiny specks of debris. And they are considering requiring all satellites to be launched with this type of like magnetic docking plate on them that would allow for a different type of satellite capture. And that wouldn't help us clean up any of the junk that's up there now. But just in 2021, there is a project called ELSA-D, which stands for End of Life Services by an organization called Astroscale. And the attempt is to send something up into space with like a mock piece of space junk that it releases and then it is supposed to catch back up to and use this type of technology to capture it and, and prove that this is a technology that could work. I know that it was going to be something that would take several months after it was launched and I've yet to see any conclusions as to how that's gone so far. Anyways, the point is that we're having mild success in these very 
controlled scenarios of grabbing like one piece of space debris and yet here we're talking about sending tens of thousands of additional satellites up into space and these collisions are beginning to happen so like in most cases when we talk about can technology save us we're just far away from a solution and especially a solution that would be economically feasible yeah, in a time when budgets are tight and they're going to continue to tighten, I really doubt that we're ever going to be willing to spend the type of money necessary to remove junk from space. It's one of those things where it's not a problem now, really, so not enough attention is being put towards it. And that being said, it does seem like there's a lot of attention being put towards it. There's a lot of efforts and a lot of cost, but that so far it's been unsuccessful and in the time frame of you know the next couple of decades it doesn't seem like there's any really great scalable solution in the end no one really knows if or when there will be a big tipping point of cascading collisions that would bring the kessler syndrome to fulfillment we may experience this in our lifetime you know in a worst case scenario we may witness it to a lesser degree with a smaller amount of satellites being destroyed or something like that the point is that while we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, any intensification of the process is going to end up costing us more money. And if there is cascading failure of satellites, it's going to cost a lot more than money in that it's going to create genuine havoc in our supply chains, in our financial systems, and in the way of life that we are used to living now. You know, I know there was just a couple of months ago a scare between two satellites and everyone was kind of watching, holding their breath, wondering if they were going to collide and they narrowly missed each other but it won't be any surprise to me if we do witness another one of these collisions happening in the next couple of years and you know a couple of years after that and who knows at what point those collisions start to happen yearly well all i can say is that we live in a really interesting time like previous generations have worried about the fragility of the financial system or political turmoil, right? Those are things that have been around forever. But we're unique in that we get to worry about the infrastructure of satellites that we've put up into space being threatened by the amount of space junk that's floating around because we put it there. You know, I think when it comes to all the other things we've talked about, resource depletion and climate change and all the social issues and the growing consumption, you know, this topic that we've covered today isn't one that I'd put at the top of the list for what worries me. But it's just interesting that it's a real problem that's getting serious attention from major organizations because it could be a real threat. And yet here it's just kind of the cherry on top. It's just one more thing that is part of the equation around collapse. Yeah, it's like we've got all these things that we know are going to happen for a certainty, right, in regards to collapse. And so then you, you've got something like this that is really a, a sort of a question mark as far as the, the level of certainty and time frames and things like that. And so like you said, it, it, while it is very scary, it's not at the top of, of my list of threats. But who knows, it may just surprise us one day and become the number one threat if we're not careful. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.